The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench this Saturday. Great show on the way. The Premier League is back. We have full-time reports on all its action. Uh, West Ham and Wolves are uh, currently in action. It's nil all there at the moment. We have a brilliant piece coming up with Kieran McCarthy, of course, author of Something in the Water. I chatted to him about Paulo Donovan and Fintan McCarthy on their most recent World Championship win in the water. Hectic day of Gaelic games. John McCarthy was in MTU for the ladies' football finals. We have reaction to all of them and we might hear from him later later on as well as the senior final has gone on later than expected loads of games in the men's football as well St Michael's taking on O'Donovan Ross at Parky we've currently can follow updates on our Twitter account for that Munster are in the URC they're in URC action of Musgrave Park against Zebra and they're leading 21-0 which is nice for them for once all of that and more coming up between here and 7 Yeah, Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock here on Cork's Red FM on the big red bench. Uh, yeah, it's good to see Munster uh, leading convincingly at the moment, um, approaching full time, or half time, I should say. Um, three tries in the first half against Zebra, who, uh, you know, it would, uh, there was talks of Zebra being a very difficult uh, proposition because they were, they were, they'd done fairly well in their first couple of games. So uh, good to see that Munster steadied the ship. And uh, yeah, it's half time now, 21 0 at Musgrave Park, just down the road. Um, let's jump into the Premier League full-time reports from the 3pm kickoffs before we go anywhere else. And uh, quite a hectic finish to those uh, games. Liverpool and Brighton finish a level after a thrilling encounter at Anfield. Shane Pennington reports. Liverpool 3, Brighton 3 and it's more drop points for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool as once again they delivered a performance which left the home fans with more questions than answers. Brighton went 2 up through Leandro Trossard's double with two goals either side of the break from Roberto Firmino level things up then Adam Webster's own goal put Liverpool ahead only for more poor defending by the host to let Leandro Trossard equalise to complete his hat-trick five minutes from time and give Roberto De Zerbi an excellent result in his first game in charge Liverpool 3 Brighton 3 yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, touchy there for Liverpool. Uh, yeah, um, but a good good start for Deserby um, at Brighton. Uh, Graham Potter uh, almost a very shaky start to his reign over Chelsea in the Premier League, but thanks to. Um, Thanks to Conor Gallagher, it has ended up being a winning start for him. George Alderman reports from Sellers Park. Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2, and it was Conor Gallagher, the England midfielder, who was on loan here at Selhurst Park and did absolutely brilliantly in a Palace shirt last season that won it for Graham Potter's side to hand him his first win as Chelsea boss in the dying moments of the game. Before that, Osman Edward had put Palace up early in the first half, totally unmarked inside the Chelsea six-yard box to side foot home. But Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang getting them back in it just before half-time. The ball flicked down by Thiago Silva and Aubameyang with a great finish into the bottom corner. There was controversy as well. Palace wanted a red card for Thiago Silva in the first half. VAR looked at it, decided a yellow was fair enough before Gallagher applied the drama in the closing stages. It's finished. Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2. Yeah, it just felt inevitable the minute that Conor Gallagher came onto the pitch. He got a standing ovation uh, from the crowd at Sellers Park and then whipped one into the top corner from outside the box. An absolutely fantastic goal. And uh, in fairness to him, yeah, didn't celebrate. Um, but I'm sure for him that was huge because he hasn't had the best of times uh, so far this season. Uh, Newcastle had a comfortable win against Fulham. Ryan Bromelow was at Craven Cottage. It's finished. 10 men, Fulham 1, Newcastle 4. 
floor. The visitors with their first win since early August. All but one of the Newcastle goals scored in the first half. Wilson, Almiron and Longstaff all on target. They continue their imperious form into the seconds. Almiron with his second confirmed victory for the Magpies. A late decade over Reed consolation produced some smiles for the home faithful. But ultimately, this one was aroused. A Craven Cottage, it's finished. Fulham 1, Newcastle 4. Yeah, Eddie Howe's good run at the helm of Newcastle continues. Everton, a big win for them um, against Southampton. Alan Lewis reports from St Mary's. It's finished Southampton 1, Everton 2. Frank Lampard's side hang on for the win and a big three points after a fairly quiet first half. The game really sparked into life with three goals in five second half minutes. Joe Aribo put Southampton in front only for Connor Cody to equalise just three minutes later and then two minutes after that Dwight McNeil thumped Everton in front Onana and Gray went close to getting a third for Everton while Adam Armstrong missed two really good chances to get an equaliser Coletta Carr had the chance to be a hero for Southampton in stoppage time but his volley was just inches over the bar and so it finished Southampton 1 Everton 2 it finished goalless between Bournemouth and Brentford. Alan Seabrook was there. Finished Bournemouth nil, Brentford nil at the end of a Brighton open game that had its moments but never really hit the heights. Brentford had the better of the first half with Damsgaard going close early on and Ben Mee heading over just before the break when he really should have hit the target. In the second half, Bournemouth bounced back. Jefferson Lerma had a header that was looping goalwards before Ivan Tony cleared it off the line and Peter Billing had a free kick that cleared on the top of the crossbar but the chance of the game fell on 73 minutes ball into the penalty area dropped over the shoulder of Ivan Tony, eight yards out but he can only thrash the ball wide of the target on full time huge appeals from Bournemouth for a penalty but the referee didn't even look at VAR a point apiece then probably just about right it finished Bournemouth nil Brentford nil yeah and the biggest game of the day you would probably say was the early kickoff, the North London derby Arsenal at home to Tottenham and it was Arsenal who came out on top it's uh, Tottenham's first defeat of the Premier League season 3-1 at um, at the Emirates Harry Kane equalised from the penalty spot to send them level at the break uh, but the visitors did have Emerson Royale sent off in the second half and it was um, a Thomas Partey excellent strike from Thomas Partey to open the scoring and uh, Jesus then put Arsenal 2-1 in front and Granit Xhaka of all people uh, made it 3-1 towards the end Spurs boss Antonio Conte says they struggled after the red card when uh, you uh, remain with the 10 men and then uh, you stay 2-1 down it's not simple because you have to cut strikers <laughs> yeah and to try to to find again the best balance with a man yeah, Arsenal uh, continuing to, uh, to to drive on and I think they have a four-point cushion now ahead of um, the Manchester Derby tomorrow. Obviously, I would imagine if Man City get a win there, they'll cut the gap to a point. Um, but who knows what'll happen there. Um, hopefully, it won't be uh, uh, an Erling Haaland uh, exhibition tomorrow. But uh, yeah, should be a, a good game. Um, it's still nil all. I uh, yeah. Oh, it's 1-0 to West Ham. West Ham have scored. They've gotten a goal. 
Skamaka has put the Hammers 1-0 up um, at home to Wolves uh, so we'll get a report on that as soon as it comes in in the Scottish Premiership this afternoon Rangers beat Hearts 4-0 at Tynecastle Celtic then went back on top of the table after beating Motherwell 2-1 at Parkhead Shamrock Rovers go to Sligo Rovers in the SSC Electricity Premier Division tonight kickoff is 7.45 in the Women's National League Cork City so close to getting a huge point away to Shelburne they conceded late on and lost 2-1 unfortunately in the Munster Senior League Premier Division Avondale United beat Ringmatton Rangers 2-1 College Corinthians were 3-0 winners over Castleview um, in Gaelic Games uh, the final pairing for the Bond Secure Senior A Football Championship will be decided this evening in Parky Cueve at the moment it is St. Michael's taking on O'Donovan Rossa um, and we do have live updates of that on the at Big Red Bench Twitter account um, it's St. Michael's 16 points uh, O'Donovan Rossa 110 with 49 minutes gone there um, at 7 o'clock Clyder Rovers meet Knocknagree it's also uh, the semi-final stages of the Intermediate Football Championship and um, Cantorc and Kilimantra went to extra time in Mallow let's see it is full time and it is Cantorc who have come out the winners by a point 114 to 113 after extra time so Cantorc into the final where they will face Bantry Blues um, who defeated Ivleary 3-13 to 1-16 uh, so yeah a huge huge day of Gaelic games as we said and uh, I'm of course rounding out the day's action um, at MTU down the road was the Senior A final uh, Morn Abbey and Air Rogue and um, it is Morn Abbey who have picked up another championship title it has ended 3-12 to 13 points um, at MTU so a long long day because there was a a, a shootout a, a, a 30 metre we'll hear from we'll hear from all these camps and the managers later on but the intermediate decider went to 25 metre free kicks and uh, Castlehaven came out on top over uh, Glanmire but uh, yeah we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit later on uh, Rugby of course as we said Munster leading 21-0 at half time um, in the All-Ireland's League 1A Carcon defeated Young Munster 19 points to 18 and in 1B Highfield were 26 points to 20 winners over Banbridge UCC beat Malone 36-12 finally in basketball it's a big one coming up in about 20 minutes time in the Super League South Conference CNS Neptune playing UCC Demons in a huge Cork Derby that's uh, 6.30 uh, Formula 1 Ferrari's Charles Leclerc will start the Singapore Grand Prix on pole ahead of Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton Max Verstappen who could uh, could win a second successive title tomorrow I actually didn't realise but yeah if he gets the win that is it wrapped up uh, he'll begin the race from ninth after a mix up saw him abandon his last qualifying lap uh, just it was a wet track and of course it's, uh, it was, it's a nighttime race the track wasn't really drying up he went out in slicks and he was actually going fairly well at one stage and then he went around again and uh, he aborted two laps anyway and he could have e- easily got in second or third with, with both laps and he decided to abort them it was strange uh, Lando Norris was sixth George Russell 11th fastest uh, in golf Richard Mansell has a four shot lead at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship in Scotland he's 15 under par after a 5 under 67 at Carnoustie uh, Patrick Harrington and Rory McIlroy both safely through to tomorrow's final round on 7 under par however Shane Lowry and Jonathan Caldwell have both missed the cut uh, Lowry 2 over and uh, Caldwell 7 over now on to rowing and our chat with um, author of something in the water Kieran McCarthy 
We spoke, of course, last weekend about uh, another world championship for Paula Donovan and Finta McCarthy, and I've really delved into their dominance now in the lightweight double skulls. And the only man to do that with is Kieran McCarthy, of course, uh, editor of the Southern Star and author of Something in the Water. And he told us all about the current situation that Irish rowing has found itself in. Sports editor of the Southern Star, Kieran McCarthy, is on the line to reflect on another world championship for Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy. Kieran, thanks for joining us on the Big Red Bench. Uh, good to be talking with you, Aidan. Yeah, another dominant display last weekend from from the two lads. Uh, it's it's just become the norm now, hasn't it? Like, but they're what Paul and Fintan are doing. They're making the extraordinary look ordinary, and and that's just a testament to the two boys. It's just incredible to watch their their utter dominance of a of a world event. That was their their sixth gold medal in a row, um, stretching back to the 2019 World Championships. Every international regatta that Paul and Fintan have entered together in the Irish men's lightweight double, they've won. It's incredible. Like it's 18 race wins in a row as well. So, as you can see from that, Aidan, they're just simply dominant. They they win every race at every regatta that they roll up to right now, and it's. And I think what actually makes this one, this latest world gold medal, even more impressive is the fact that Paul and Fintan have not had what you describe as a, a typical year in terms of they haven't trained together that much at all this year I think they've barely been in the boat outside of the, the European and the world regattas so for them to do what what, what they've done which has proved beyond doubt that they are the best the best in the world I think it's uh, it's, it's a great sign for what, for what is to come in the years ahead as we head into the next Olympic cycle but also a testament to the to the level that Fintan and Paul are both at now because I know before the European Championships in August that they hadn't been in the boat together I'd say 10 times in total since the Olympics um, in Tokyo last summer yet they went to the Europeans and they won gold there by four seconds and then ahead of the Worlds again their preparation wasn't ideal because Fintan was in a training camp in Bagnoli's in Spain while Paul is back here in Cork um, doing his medical studies with UCC but then Paul rocks up to the world so something Fintan hop in the boat and they just do what they do and they, they win gold and by clear water Yeah like because I've actually I've made the joke that it does seem like they rock up to these things and just go win it and I actually joke that obviously it's not that simple but it's actually not that far off it so it's not because what what they're doing this year like and I was talking to Fintan McCarthy about this a couple of weeks back he said like it's almost like they're, they're pushing boundaries they're, they're they're seeing what they can do to win like obviously last year they were together an awful lot before the Olympics and they went and they won gold and that was a huge moment Ireland's first ever Olympic rowing gold medal so when you put them together in the boat for a for a, a kind of sustained um, uh, months weeks and so on that they'll 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 go and perform. But this year, because it's the year after an Olympics and typically in the year after an Olympics, a lot of athletes use that year to um, maybe go and do different things. Maybe just to ease back a small bit because it's not too long before you hop into the next Olympic cycle. And this Olympic cycle is actually shorter because it's only three, year, um, three years between Tokyo and Paris. So Paul this year obviously is concentrating a lot on his, on his medical studies with UCC. He was out in Australia there for a, for, for a bit as well, doing a bit of, of work placement. So Fintan... So what Fintan did, Fintan actually seized this year and he said, you know what, I'm going to try and push on myself and make the most of this year. And he's had an incredible year, Fintan. I know people always talk about Paul and, and so they should because he's such an, an elite athlete, like the best in the world. But Fintan McCarthy, is, his development and his progression this year is is phenomenal as, as well. So what we have, we have two really world-class, world-class, top-class athletes now 
who okay, they're not training together as much as they ideally would like to, but they're still winning world and European gold medals. So that means going into the next year, which is an Olympic uh, qualification year, if for some reason the two lads can't get in the boat for for the the ideal amount of time that they want for their preparation, they're not going to be worried because they know that they can just hop into the boat together and it's going to go fast anyway. So whatever way you look at it, it's it's going to it just makes for a a very encouraging two years ahead. Yeah, it's fairly remarkable. Like, and even just watching the race Saturday, I suppose we're not used to being in this position, like in Ireland, you know, having someone, having a team that are so, so good at what they do and so far ahead of, of all the other people in their event. And like, even the commentary on Saturday, I actually, I, I thought it was a horrible experience watching it because Jerk Canning and I can't remember who else was on co commentary, but they were just there, like, oh, this is, it's in the bag, like, don't worry about it, you know. And I, I just don't think that suits us at all. All. like it was actually it made it worse to watch it is like that because like there's a certain inevitability we know when, when Paul and Finch are racing like there's a huge expectation that they're going to win gold like I said earlier that's six gold medals Row. like they're Olympic champions they're back-to-back world champions they're back-to-back European champions no, no, no matter what race they go to they win gold even go back to the Hinley Regatta after the Olympics last year they went over there and they won gold in, in a double as well so there is that expectation that, that they just will deliver and in fairness to the two of them the pressure just doesn't bother them they just go out and they just focus on themselves and they deliver time and time again but you're, you're, you're 100% right I think everyone just expects them now to, 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 to go out and win and that's why I, I said earlier well that they're making the extraordinary look ordinary because it's not for, for, for us here in Ireland to have to have two athletes who are just that far ahead of everyone else in, in a world sport like they're beating the Italians the French like you name it like they beat whatever double partnership they're, they're put up against and I like if you put yourself in the in, in the other boats for, for a moment like what, what are they thinking like how are they going to go and, and beat Paul and Finton because if we look to next year and if Paul is back, is back training a bit more with Finton, and if they do that, get that time together on the board a bit more, um, they should be a bit better. And but even saying that, it almost sounds absurd. Like, how do you make the best crew in the world even even better? You know, it's just it's just incredible what they are doing at the moment. And I think I think we all need to just enjoy it and appreciate appreciate it because these these two Skibbereen lads are just like they're putting West Cork on the map. They're putting Skibbereen on the map. They're putting their Skibbereen Rowing Club on the map. They're they're a credit to Cork like. It's just, it's a great time to be, a, 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 I suppose, a Cork person, a West Cork person to watch what the two lads are doing. Would you prefer to see Paul O'Donovan be a bit more enthusiastic in his interviews afterwards? Because I suppose the one with David Gillick, geez, I nearly felt sorry for David there. It was a bit difficult. Like Paul was was giving him very little. No, Paul, I'd say that, that, that first question, for whatever reason, Paul kind of bristled at it and he just wasn't, he, he wasn't coming back into that interview as, as such after it. But around the same time, he gave an interview himself in Finton to, to work growing and it, it was the Paul that that we all know like he was joking about his his quads and his biceps and and and, and his hamstrings and how he's how, how he's going to push on but Paul is what you see is what you get he's an absolutely incredible athlete and, and to be very fair to the man he's a he's a great person to interview as well he really is I've had so, so many good one-on-one chats with him over the years he's, um, he's, he's a very deep character um, he knows the sport in, inside out and I can see what you're saying about kind of that, that enthusiastic side, side of it but um, I was listening to Timmy Harnady on RT coverage um, after the race and he said maybe that Paul doesn't appreciate that for the rest of us we'd love to know what it's like to win five 
um, world gold medals in, in a row. But for Paul, it's just the norm. Like he's an elite athlete, and wherever you talk to in the world of rowing, like he's right up there at the top, right at the apex, is one of the the best rowers in the world right now. And um, I think to, to to be very fair to him, he does. He's talking underwater, and he does it better than anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he is a fascinating character, and then Finton as well. Like uh, we touched there, how great he's been this year. You've covered it in the Southern Star about you know that pressure he was under when he took the place of Gary O'Donovan and boy is he delivered like well, what what an amazing performance he's put in over the last couple of years oh, it's, it's just been brilliant to watch since since Fintan got his seat in that Irish double back in 2019 and, and, and remember he ousted Gary O'Donovan out of that out of that seat in the Irish lightweight double and at the time um, Paul and Gary were world champions and of course you know what Paul and Gary did back in the 2016 Olympics in Rio so Fintan won his place in that Irish double beside Paul and I, I, like he probably he had to prove himself because he went in with the best rower in the world but over the last couple of years you've just seen Finton blossom into this this world class rower and, and like I mentioned earlier as well he's had a really good year in the double okay with Paul they've won European and world gold but go back to the Irish rowing championships in the summer uh, Finton won two big titles there he won the senior single skulls title and the lightweight single skulls title and to win the senior title he actually beat Paul O'Donovan in that race he beat Paul in the second place and there's that many rowers in the world maybe Finton is the only one who's actually beaten Paul O'Donovan this year so that's an, an incredible achievement but he really is holding his own and even after the Europeans um, in the in, in the interviews after Paul kind of acknowledged he goes it's it, it was Finton pushing us on there like Finton has really stepped up so we've two really world class roars in that boat right now are the Olympics in Paris now the end game for for Paul anyway I suppose because like as we said you know his studies and everything like that and like come come the Olympics he'll have been doing this for a, quite a long time at a top level uh, so what is that path now for the two guys so right now the the, the, the season is over such but when you go into 2023 that's when um, that's when the lads can qualify for the 2024 Olympics so next year is an Olympic qualification year and all going well touch wood um, Paul and Finton will be there going into Paris and the odds are they will be favourites for gold but like we like we know like they carry that expectation pretty easily on their shoulders so um that Olympics as well, the Paris Games, it's expected to be the last time that the, the lightweight rowing events will take part in an Olympics. So we're expecting that the lightweight the lightweight double will be cut from the Olympic schedule, which will be an awful shame because that is the, the boat that Irish rowers have excelled in over the years. Even go back to the go back to the um, Athens Games in 04 with the, the, the lightweight four got to the A final there go to Beijing in 2008 with, with the, um, the lightweight four got to the final there as well so it's just it's just a shame um, that the, the lightweight double and men's and singles um, sorry men's and women's will be is set to be cut from from the games but that might not necessarily spell the end for, for Paul and Finton um, I saw an interview with Finton a couple of weeks ago when it was put to him would they step up into the into, into the, the heavy weight the open weight category and he, he didn't rule it out and I think that's quite interesting and on the Southern Star podcast there a couple of weeks ago with Martin Cross so Martin is the commentator on world rowing he's a former Team GB um, Olympic medalist he's a man who knows he's rowing inside out and I asked him that I said post looking past Paris if he could see the likes of could see Paul and Finton stepping up 
into into the heavyweight. So you're in with the big boys then, you're in with the fellas then who could be six foot six and they'd be a lot heavier and a lot bigger than than Paul and Finton are right now. And, and Martin said he, they, they could. He said he, he could see them, like there's precedent there in the, in, in the past for rowers going from lightweight up to heavyweight and continuing on their success. So maybe that's a route that they might decide to to go down to having conquered the world of the lightweight. They might turn their attention to, to trying to show the heavyweights that the, that the lightweights uh, can, can pack a punch at that level too. Yeah, that's an incredible shame. Like, is it, is it just that I suppose because we've had so much success like that sport has been so visible in Ireland now over the last uh, five years like is it just does it not have that audience worldwide at the moment or why has that decision been made? It's down to with the Olympics they can have a set number of athletes and a set number of sports and we saw in the last Olympics they're introducing new sports so I think um, what's going to what's likely to replace um, lightweight rowing event is is beach sprint so it's like um, it's it's another it's kind of beach sprint rowing where the where they run down to the water they row and then they come back in they they, they sprint back up the beach so there's that um, there's the, that category which is expected to come in instead of, of lightweight rowing so it's just down to the sheer numbers and uh, the, the, the Olympic Council and the OCI bringing in new sports I think just to almost appeal to a, a younger audience like we saw at the last Olympics you know the, 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 the BMX came in with the Mongolian I think climbing was in too, wasn't it? I think they were shooting up the wall there. I was watching that. It was quite interesting as well. So it's just a, so they can appeal to a, a different audience, a younger audience. But it is a shame. It really, really is a shame because lightweight rowing has been so good to us um, over the last couple of years. And even like we're saying about um, Paul and Finton, like at the Worlds last weekend, another two cork rowers, um, Aoife Casey from Skibbereen and Max Crimmon from Waterstown, they won a bronze medal in the lightweight win, women's double. And that's a huge result for them. Like that's a big breakthrough moment, Aiden because that's a young crew that finished eight at the Olympic Games in Tokyo last year but now they've won a world bronze medal and they've, they've proved that they can hold their own on the world stage and that lightweight women's double will have their eyes set on the Paris Games as well so as well as as Paul and Finton being favourites for a medal, if 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 Aoife and and Megs can can maintain the form that they showed in in the Czech Republic last weekend, what's not to say that they'll put themselves in in a, in the conversation for a medal as well in two years' time? Absolutely, yeah, that was a fantastic win. And uh, this this question now is, I have to shape this a bit differently now because I actually didn't know that about the Olympic Games. But I suppose this sport, you know, it does exist outside the Olympics, and we must not be so focused on the Olympics. But in terms of the future virus growing now that does change it obviously but you know this I suppose it does seem that this was like the perfect storm of 10 or 12 outstanding Irish rowers male and female coming along at the same time training together pushing each other on is there a production line to that is there another generation coming through and um, outside of the Olympics if we're at, at world championships etc can Ireland stay at the top over the next decade in men's and women's I think so because if, if you look back to last year's Olympics um, the the women's four that won the Olympic bronze medal that that's a, heavy, a, um, a heavyweight crew and Emily Hegarty from Skibbereen she was one of the, the rowers in, in, in that boat so the heavyweight categories will be staying in the Olympics so you can see in the, in the last couple of years as well rowing Ireland they've been very focused in bringing true kind of heavyweight rowers and we saw it even at the at the World Championships again last weekend where Sunita Pospura and um, and Zoe Hyde won won a bronze medal in a, I think it was the, 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 either the women's double or the, or the, or the women 
women's pair. So, and the, that women's four also got to the world final, but they were, they finished sixth, and they'd be disappointed with that result because they know that they can do better. And we saw that last year when they won the, that Olympic bronze. So there really is a lot of talent across the kind of the heavyweight and the lightweight in in Rowan Ireland right now. And like there was there was 10, 11, 12 crews went to the, the to the to the world rowing championship. So that the talent is here, and I think I think the future is very bright because okay, we might lose the lightweights um, the lightweight category as, as an Olympic class category, but it'll, it'll still be there at world championships. It'll still be there at European championships. We'll still have it at, at, at the at the various World Cups. So you'll, you'll still have a very good, very talented Irish rowers kind of competing on the on, on the world stage. It's it's just a great time for Irish rowing. It, it, it really is, you know, and you can almost trace it back to the success that we're seeing now can be traced back to what Gary and Paul did in Rio in 2016 because they broke the glass ceiling that the, the, um, when they won that silver medal, they showed that Irish rowers can win the really big medals and since then look at the success that that's followed like it's been absolutely incredible and another man worth mentioning too is Dominic Casey because he's almost uh, he's seen as the kind of a rowing guru the mastermind of the success of Skibbereen Rowing Club over the years he's helped transform them into the number one rowing club in in the country but he's also Rowing Ireland's lightweight coach and last weekend he oversaw that gold medal for, for Paul and Finton in the lightweight men's double but he was also coach of the lightweight women's double of his daughter Aoife with Mags that won the bronze medal so for, for Dominic to, to, to like I said mastermind two world medals in one glorious 40 minutes like it's just it's just incredible and it's, it's all part of this the Skibbereen rowing success story that just keeps giving and giving and giving Absolutely well we'll certainly enjoy the ride while we have it Kieran. excellent stuff and uh, thanks again for taking the call Thanks Aidan yeah, Kieran McCarthy there. Great chat with him on all things rowing. Uh, coming up after the break, we have reaction to those three ladies football finals from today from MTU in Bishopstown. So stay tuned for them. The Big Red Bend. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock and uh, plenty action ongoing. And it's all over in the first semi final in the Senior A Football Championship at Parky Cueve. And it is St. Michael's who will progress to the final. Final, a big, a big win for them over O'Donovan Ross. A two twenty-one to two eleven ten-point win. They will meet the winners of these other semi-final Clyde Rovers versus Knocknagree. Of course, that is on the way at seven o'clock, and will be gone off air. So you can follow live updates of that on the at Big Red Bench Twitter account. Um, in Mosgrave Park, Munster playing Zebra. It's now twenty-one-five Zebra going over, but uh, missing a fairly easy uh, conversion. Uh, so twenty-one-five remains there with 57 minutes gone. Um, it is half time between West Ham and Wolves at the London Stadium. Here's Ian Beach. It's West Ham 1, Wolves 0. The goal by Gianluca Scamaccia separates the teams but they both had spells where they've been on top. Wolves had a very good 10 minutes where Daniel Podence and Johnny had long range shots saved but West Ham had been waiting for their chances to counter-attack and it paid off in the end when Jared Bowen fought his way into the penalty area the ball broke to Scamaccia who brought it under control and fired home from the edge of the box. It's West Ham 1, Wolves 0. 
Now let's jump into the action from uh, MTU in Bishopstown, just down the road from us here, of course. Um, Nave Vaughan won the Junior A final. They defeated O'Donovan Rossa 4-6 to 1-10. Um, Noel McDonough, uh, Nave Vaughan manager, was speaking to Ger McCarthy after their win. Noel McDonough, first of all, hard to congratulations. Uh, Junior A County Champions, Nave Vaughan, fantastic performance. The two early goals, did that set you up though? Absolutely, I suppose. In a game like this, if you get an advantage of six points, in a tight close game with two good teams it's hard to get that back and obviously that was in the head of, of Skibreen they had to get back into the game quickly and probably forced them to come at us and left us gaps at the back that we could exploit and that's what we did you know and in fairness to Skibreen they, put us, they stayed going till the very finish they were attacking attacking but we were able to pick them off when they when they had to push for them two goals back we were able to, to get back and score again you know, so it was fantastic it's been a great year for you it's a very very tough junior A grade to get out of your up into intermediate but um, you've done really well been very consistent I'd say yeah we have and if you go back over the last uh, 12 14 months we've we've just came out of winning a minor uh, county uh, we went on to win the under 21 county against actually uh, we played Skibreen in the final of that and again today and it's, the girls are used to the big stage now and they're well used to coming out and playing big days and a lot of that team are still 16, 17, minor, 21 so hopefully you know, going well there's a great bright future there Looking forward to the intermediate grade next year? Absolutely as you look at the challenges there and you know every time you can step up a notch I'm sure the girls will step up and we'll have a, a good campaign tonight and a good celebration and we'll go from there Excellent, well done man Listen, thanks a lot yeah, Noel McDonough there, the Nava Vaughan manager here is their captain Una with Jar. Una Tuhig with Jar. I'm here with Nava Vaughan winning captain uh, Una Tuhig. Uh, congratulations, first of all, winning a junior A county, Una. How important is it for this group of players? It's so, so important. We have, we've, we've come so close in the last couple of years, the semi-finals, and it's just heartbreak. But, like, you could feel it this week, the build-up to it, the girls really wanted it. And even last training on Thursday, we just dug deep. We knew, we knew we had it in the camp, and it was just farm on the day, and couldn't be happier that we have. Consistent all year, I've said it to your manager, like you won a lot of hard games in the Junior A Championship and you got to the final. We have indeed, yeah, and like and it's shone through the hard game, so like we'll always take credit for that in the build up, but it's just it's unreal today. It's just you can't put it into words, it's unreal. And finally, what does this mean to this group of players with all the effort that you put in? Everything. All the blood, sweat and tears through the muck and rain, it's it was worth it in the end. Congratulations, go get that cup. Thanks so much. Excellent stuff there. Uh, Jer McCarthy also caught up with the O'Donovan Rossa manager, Derek Tobin. Uh, Derek Tobin, first of all, commiserations getting to a county final losing is never easy, but there's a lot to take from the season as a whole for this group of players. And I'm sure you're hoping that you'll bounce back next year. Yeah, for definite sure. Look, in fairness, give the guards their credit. They've done every single thing we asked them all year. And, you know, it was a mixed year for everyone kind of thing. Like, you know, absolutely we're gutted here now at the minute. But look, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and regroup and try to learn from our mistakes and go ahead again, like did that start that like two goals early on really set you on the back foot yeah look we know Nave Bonner are very dangerous they're a very good side in fairness look and they've played they've played well all year and they've been a threat up front you know and took us bus we tried to learn from it I think we got a lot right and we probably maybe needed a few extra things as well but look we're, we're heading the right direction all the time the girls are learning so yeah that's key that's some really talented players and the junior is incredibly difficult to get out of as you well know but there's enough there next year to really come back and bounce have another cut off this again yeah I hope so like to you know I mean in fairness to give the girls their credit they, you know it was a kind of mixture like with you know people travelling and different things and stuff and in fairness to give them their credit they worked hard while they were away and even when they came back they regrouped and got back in and you know some of the younger girls came into as well and stuff and look you couldn't ask any more out oh, of the girls in fairness they, they were and thanks to the management as well like you know we started back in December trying to get this done like and you know 
strength and conditioning, everything they asked, we don't everything they asked us to do, or everything we asked them to do, they don't like. So, you know, look, we'll have a good one to go. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, fair play to Derek Tobin there. Um, always difficult in that situation, but uh, yeah, fair play to him uh, for speaking with Jar after the game. Now, the intermediate decider went all the way to 25 metre free kicks. Extra time saw the sides deadlocked Castlehaven 2 11, Glanmire 1 14. And Castlehaven, who have experience of this, uh, who uh, their, their, their junior A final last year went to 25 metre kicks. And uh, it was the Haven who came out on top. Uh, they won the free kick contest. Um, but yeah, incredible drama, I imagine. And uh, that is why the Senior A final then was, was pushed on a bit later. It started at the later time of half past four. But yeah, incredible excitement, I imagine. Here's Dinny Cahillan, the Castle Haven boss. After that, huge, huge win on what it was basically a shootout. Dinny Cahillan, we stood in the same pitch at the, at the Junior A County final last year when you beat Donnie's on 30 metre freeze. Today you went to extra time with Glanmire an absolutely brilliant intermediate final to win on 25 metre freeze how are you feeling and can you put can, can you put it into words my voice has got to get same as last year uh, look what can I say about these bunch of girls we were dead and buried the first half of a normal game we said to them at half time throw the kitchen sink and it did it pull off the draw look Unreal. You can see by the girls' faces, there's tears of joy there. Just unreal. Unreal. Um, real guts needed. You had to dig deep in extra time because a lot of players are cramping. They're still cramping on both sides. But what an effort. Yeah. And that's where the, all the fitness and all the hard work that you've gone through um, has come true for you today. Definitely. I'm not all, look, and the bench. I'm saying it all year. It's a panel that wins games. We use five, six, seven between the t- extra time and all. Five, six, seven subs. And look, they made a difference as well. Fresh legs. You know, just, just unreal. Unreal. Brilliant for the parish. I know it's hard to put into context. You're only in existence about 10 years, but you're now a senior club. Next year, you meet the cream of the crop and you're up there with them. What does this mean to the area? What does it mean to ladies football in West Cork? Oh, look, it's hard to believe. Like, it's, as you said, we're not too long in existence. Same bunch of girls. But the effort they've put in, they're, as you said, they're up with the cream next year, the seniors. Look, we might, we might even get a few call-ins off the air. <laughs> okay. I'm not going there. But listen, congratulations and well done, Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Thanks, well done. Thanks. Yeah, excellent stuff there. Dini Cahillan, the victorious Castlehaven boss with Jar. Jar also spoke to Castlehaven player Alice O'Driscoll. Alice O'Driscoll, it's been a long road for Castlehaven. Ten years in existence, you're now a senior club. Once again, you, had, you needed 25 metre freeze to do it. How do you feel? It's just, first of all, it's unbelievable that we came to this again. You know, oh, yeah. another, like, my heart goes out to Lamarie again. It's a terrible way to end the county final. But I remember starting Junior E with this club, getting absolutely hammered with this club, Junior E. And to think that we are up senior, I never, never thought I would be playing senior with Athlaven, but it's there, it's there. But just finally, what a bunch of girls, what a squad, because you have to stick together this year. Unbelievable. I mean, like, the depth in the squad is, is something else. The young ones have, the young ones I call them, but they have come out of the woodwork this year, you know. They have driven us on. We're all fighting for places, you know. Um, we've had injuries, I mean, against Ross. Um, Mareed was gone. Yeah. Grani was gone. I was I was gone. There was other girls came off that day. And, you know, the younger ones came and they stepped up. So, unbelievable. And it just goes to show you need a full panel to win and to get to, to senior. Congratulations. Thank well you. Thanks. 
yeah, huge, huge victory for Castlehaven there in the intermediate final. And uh, yeah, what a way to win it! But it's uh, it's a really, it is, I imagine, a gut wrenching way to lose it. Um, commiserations to Glenn Meyer and also, of course, to Undonovan Rossa in the Junior A final. Um, but yeah, a good day finished off with the Senior A final, and it was Morn Abbey who once again won the title. They defeated Airog three twelve to thirteen points. Jar McCarthy caught up with Breed O'Sullivan of Morn Abbey after the game. Breed O'Sullivan, hearty congratulations. It's another one. Is there a league table with these successes in winning county titles or are they just sweeter every time you manage to achieve it? <laughs> um, I suppose there's something different about everyone. Um, you know, there's always a different reason, you know, why we're celebrating. I think this year was a special year for us because we had so many players unavailable to us from last year's squad through retirements and different things. Um, so I suppose there was just that little bit of worry going in that it was a number of players first county first senior county final but um, I suppose you know they showed out there like the two Cronins uh, Kate Williamson were three of our youngest players out there today and they were probably three of our best you know so delighted for them um, and is that the secret of success now again that the younger players are coming in pushing the likes of yourselves like the, should I say the experienced players who've been there and done that but it's important that they experience days like today yeah absolutely and um, you know they've had their own successes as well like they had a, a successful county campaign at under 16 level themselves but um, you know looking to the future um, some of us don't have many years left in us so you know it's good to see that the um, conveyor belt is still running in Moore Abbey Well congratulations and well done Thanks a million Yeah and uh, finally uh, to round out our coverage of these finals Maura O'Callaghan of Moore Abbey gave her thoughts at the final whistle with Jer. I'm here with Maura O'Callaghan the victorious Moore Abbey senior team who've just won the senior title once again 3-12 to 13 Maura congratulations but that was one tough final yeah, Ger, it was really, really tough. We're just delighted to come out the right side of it. It was so tense from start to finish. Um, and we were dealing with Aero coming at us again and again. We were just trying to control the game. We said, coming into it, that if we could just hold the ball, you know, pick our moments, get our scores, because Aero play very defensively. So, look, we're just delighted that they came off today and, you know, we got a bit of luck with a few green flags raised as well. Laura Fitz won't like the headlines, but a hat-trick is something else and two very good penalties. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, she's great at getting herself into the right positions and she's such a good brain for us so look we are so lucky that um, we got in inside for those penalties I suppose as you said but you know we are unlucky not to get them from play as well I suppose but look we're delighted we still got the scores on the board. And just finally the hunger is still there, the desire is still there clearly in this team to do it. Monster Championship by the way now you must be thrilled uh, to look forward to that once again. Yeah we're absolutely thrilled you know there's a, like new players coming into the mix each year so you know they really are good at bringing in, keep making sure we're still hungry going for it each year. Well done and congrats. <laughs> Thanks sir. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it wouldn't be an exaggeration at this stage to call Morn Abbey a bit of a juggernaut um, at the moment in Cork Ladies Football, but it's certainly so impressive uh, what they've done over the past couple of years. And uh, yeah, um, on they go, I suppose, into the provincial action now. Uh, that'll be starting soon. Um, so yeah, great stuff. Morn Abbey, uh, Castlehaven and Neva Vaughan all picking up uh, silverware at MTU in Bishopstown today. Thanks very much to Jar, who, uh, <clears throat> it was a long old shift in fairness to him, uh, starting early today, uh, uh, three finals so and uh, that intermediate one, an absolute grueler as well, so uh, yeah, great stuff. Now, uh, tomorrow of course
course big day huge day in the Bon Secures Premier Senior Football Championship Nemo Rangers play Ballincollig at 2pm St Finbar's face Castlehaven at 4 it's the last 4 it's the semi-final stage of the Premier Senior Football Championship and um, I suppose compared to the hurling um, there, there are four teams you would have uh, much uh, more easily have predicted at, at the start of the championship to end up um, in this position uh, you've three group winners left in there um, obviously St Finbar's Ballincollig and Nemo Rangers and uh, the other uh, the other team of course who isn't a group winner ha- happens to be Castlehaven so uh, there are certainly four very very strong teams uh, Nemo Rangers against Ballincollig at two should be an absolute cracker St Finbar's looking to make a, a hurling and football final um, of course the hurlers sealed their place in the decider last weekend and now they take on Castlehaven imagine that um, getting to to two finals at, at Premier Senior grade like it that would be absolutely incredible uh, Castlehaven do stand in their way though uh, of the reigning champions the reigning county champions and the reigning Munster champions of course and I'm sure Finbars will be of course they'll be they won't be looking too far past Castlehaven tomorrow but um you know, I imagine that that loss to Kilku last year in the semi-final of the All-Ireland was probably still there in their head somewhere. And I'm sure they would like to put that right if they got the chance. But like I said, uh, it's no uh, it's no gimme tomorrow at all. Uh, really evenly matched, all the teams. Um, so uh, should be an absolutely uh, brilliant day's football at Porky Cueve tomorrow. And you can follow... All of the updates on the At Bigger Bench Twitter account and, of course, all the reaction to those two games and also to the Senior A finals from tonight on the Big Red Bench tomorrow evening. Now we're going to turn our attention to, I suppose, some very sad news that, that broke um, yesterday um, yeah, of uh, uh, Dublin legend Brian Mullins, uh, who passed away. Um, obviously, uh, not only was he an absolute legend on the pitch for Dublin, he guided Derry to... Uh, uh, an Ulster title in 1998 as well um, so and uh, also heavily involved in UCD in college football I believe he was actually in, in Tralee and uh, not too long ago I think this year 2022 as part of that UCD management um, in the Sigerson Cup so um, yeah absolutely until uh, until the end he was uh, a great Gale and um Tommy Drum and Barney Rock have been speaking to John Duggan to pay their tribute to their teammate Brian Mullins, of course, uh, passed away yesterday. Yesterday, we learned the sad news that the former Dublin senior footballer and Derry manager Brian Mullins passed away at the age of 68. St. Vincent's clubman Brian was a legend of the sport, a towering midfielder in Hefo's army, a winner of four All-Ireland titles in 1974, 76, 77 and 83. He also won a club All-Ireland, two All-Stars, managed Derry to the Ulster title in 1998 and for many subsequent years was the director of sport in UCD. To pay tribute to Brian, we're joined on the line now by Brian's former Dublin teammate Barney Rock. Barney, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. Sad news, Barney. Brian was and is an icon of uh, Gaelic games. Oh, definitely. You know, um, it was very, very sad to hear. Uh, um, it really only came in um, in May. We were at the Leinster semi-final with Mead and Dublin, and um, we were all together. Those uh, people from the from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and present teams were all together at a function. And Brian was there, just come back from uh, Portugal with the Dublin 70s team and uh, was in great form. And then two days later, we heard that he, w- he was unwell in hospital. So it's, it's a real shock and it came very, very sudden for everybody. What are your body memories of Brian Barney? 
Uh, I think uh, Brian was the hero to us when when he was growing up. But back in '74, I was lucky enough to be in the dressing room when they when they played Cork and Mala in semi final, a, a, a game in which he got a penalty and scored it. And um, he was the, uh, the the big figure, the big fella at midfield who was only a young lad, 19 years of age, 20 years of age at that stage. And um, you know he was the one that really took all the hits around midfield. Was the one that when they needed a score. And when they needed somebody to lift the game, he was he was the main man, the go-to man. So it's it's just unbelievable, you know the the, the skill level he had, and people didn't realize that he had a lot of skill, but he had an awful lot of skill. It wasn't just about catching; it was he was a brilliant team player. Was he a real presence when you joined the Dublin setup then in the late seventies, Barney? Oh yeah, you know. Listen, we looked uh, really looked up to him. You know, we were unfortunate that um, I came on the scene with the Dublin team back in the in the league of 1980 and uh, just before we got into the championships in, in 80 uh, Brian had an accident which knocked him out and unfortunately we didn't really get to play with him uh, 80, 81 uh, and knocked him out for two years he came back in 82 um, and uh, played another three All-Irons following the, the six uh, he had previously played in the 70s We're also joined on the line Barney uh, by Tommy Drum former All-Ireland winning captain Tommy how are you? I'm well, John. Thanks. Sad, sad weekend uh, with the the news of the passing of Brian Mullins, Tommy. Yes, John. It's still very raw. You know, less than 24 hours. So my thoughts will be with Liz and Helen, and uh, condolences to Brian and his extended family. Brian had 10 grandchildren, um, and I have to say, the way that the family looked after him in the Rahini Hospice over the last couple of weeks was exceptional. Doesn't seem so long ago, John, since uh, Brian himself saying goodbye to Ethel. And here we are nine years later and we're saying goodbye to Brian. But the, the care and the love that uh, the family and Brian received from Rahimi Hospital was exceptional. So a shout out to them. No, no, well said, uh, Tommy. And you soldiered with Brian for a long time with the Dubs uh, during the whole 70s period and then in 83 as well. Yeah, I mean, the first game I played for Dublin was with Brian under 21. We played against me and... Um, He's been a part of my life ever since then. So a great uh, footballing playing mate and a great friend. Sadly missed. He was. Uh, it seems like, from all accounts, Tommy, that he had everything because uh, midfield was such an important position back then. Still is important, but he was able to feel the ball, kick the ball, and have that physical presence in the team. Yeah, there's a couple of standouts for me in the last 24 hours. Uh, John uh, Seamus McHugh reached out this morning, right, and um, the Galway team of '83 and the Dublin team of '83. We've become quite close, and next year we're celebrating 40 years since we played in the 83 final. But we had a dry run about a month ago, and uh, it wasn't long after Brian became ill and such. James McHugh, the Galway captain, addressed uh, the group, uh, the Dublin and Galway group, and he said that uh, if he was given the opportunity to pick a team and given the pick of all the players he's ever seen or played the game, the first person he would pick would be um, Brian Mullins. So I got the opportunity to say that to Brian a few days later. So he doesn't like praise and never liked praise. But I suppose coming from your opposition, that's the, that's the best compliment you could hope to get. Absolutely. And Tommy as well, in the mid-70s, Dublin were in the wilderness and 1974 was such a huge year for Dublin. And Brian is only 19 years of age and he's in the team and he's making such an impact against Galway. And that set the tone then for those great battles with Kerry. Yeah, I mean, what comes to mind immediately is uh, two people in particular, Dave Hickey and Mick Hickey. Um, you probably know John Dave Hickey has had cancer a number of times. He's retired um, pancreas and kidney transplant surgeon. And any time any of our team become ill, Dave was the first person to turn up. 
Uh, so his care for Anthony O'Toole and now Brian has been exceptional over the last uh, couple of years. So Donnick O'Brien was the surgeon who operated on Anton and Dave and couldn't ask for better care. So the reason I mentioned Dave is that his brother Mick would have played under-19 rugby with um, Brian um, in 1974 for Leinster. And um, I don't know whether you remember, but uh, we had some great rugby players on that team. We're very lucky that Brian chose to play for Dublin in the uh, Gaelic and uh, he started for Dublin the day after he played and represented Leinster Rugby and um, so you know Brian he had an incredible level of fitness at a time when the GAA had upped the time for a period of a game for 80 minutes and Kevin Heffernan tried to make Dublin the fittest team in the country at that stage and I think it, it took a number of um, teams off guard so um, Brian's level of fitness right up to the time he, he became ill he cycled everywhere John uh, out to UCD every back he swam a lot and um, so it, it was just a fundamental part of his game our full back line and our full forward line would be used to seeing Brian uh, either end of the field and uh, his uh, distribution uh, his catching skills were exceptional Barney what was he like in the dressing room? Um, and in the dressing room he was he was the big figure the, the person that we were always uh, wanting to listen to him um, he, he became captain after Tommy uh, back in in uh, eighty five, so that was his first year as being captain. But certainly uh, in the dressing room, we would always at that stage looked up to the likes of Tommy Anthony O'Toole and uh, Brian. Uh, but in the dressing room, it, you know, you knew if, you, if things weren't going for you, John, the field, he'd let you know. Uh, so he's one of those fellas that you you didn't want him to speak against you, but he'd always be watching out for you. Also, it was important uh, in in any Gaelic community and county that the club is really important, Barney. And Brian was Vincent's to the core, wasn't he? He was, Joe, and uh, he was he he had won his uh, I think All Ireland final in in seventy six with the club. But um, in the in the latter years, I remember meeting him on the sideline. I was involved with Ballymon, and Brian was uh, involved with Vincent's. But certainly Vincent was number one outside of Dublin. When he was with Dublin, he gave everything he had. And when he was in Vin- with Vincent, he gave more than that because uh, he was a true uh, Vincent man. There's an iconic photo, Barney, isn't it, of that day he went down to Porky Cueve. Ray McManus put it on Twitter today of uh, Brian and Kieran Duff, arm in arm, hot day. Rare thing to have an All-Ireland replay outside of Dublin. Uh, it was a magical day and Brian was brilliant that day. Yes, brilliant. The end of August um, of 83. And uh, like you say, it was the first time Dublin were ever played outside of Crow Park um, with, with that team. And uh, on that particular day, he gave an awesome uh, display. You know, and he set the tone in the first uh, couple of minutes. He ended up scoring a great goal uh, from a penalty. Um, and then all of a sudden, he lorded midfield and he provided us the forwards with, with plenty of ball and ammunition to... Uh, to put Cork away in that particular day. Tommy, he was a man of education. He would teach up in Donegal and that brought him to Derry and he had great success there as a manager. Tommy? Yeah, he, he um, Brian had great emotional intelligence, John Rice, and uh, the number of children and uh, that he would have come in contact with through his um, teaching days in Dublin, up in, in, um, in Donegal, where his family, some of his family still reside, and then in UCD as director of sport and I think director of health later on. It's interesting, John, in the last, um, not long before um, Brian became ill, um, we had a meeting and he said he was aware of one of our mates who was um, suffering from anxiety. So what Brian wanted to do is to do something that we would build something into our weekly diary to make sure we would support them. 
and we started off in nine holes of golf every Tuesday morning, which we did up to the time he became ill. So he was different, and um, you know, a lot, a lot of people maybe would have broken through that outer layer. Uh, but he was, he was an exceptional person who influenced for the better an awful lot of people in his career. It's important to state that as well because obviously and rightly so there'll be a lot of focus on his Dublin career and his legendary exploits in blue but as an educator as somebody who gave back for so many years Tommy to education physical excellence and really such an important thing for society nowadays through UCD No you're right John and um, it's interesting Ogie Moran made contact this morning just to remind me that Anne his wife uh, had been with Brian for four years in Poland, right? So when you look at the team that Brian has represented, right, he'd be the beating heart of every team he played for, like Poland, Leinster, rugby, as I said earlier, Dublin as a past captain, St. Vincent's, Leinster, UCD, the All-Stars. He just uh, was an exceptional person to be around. And um, well, he, he had time in UCD, he regarded with great uh, affection, and um, he didn't want to retire. He was just enjoying it so much. Barney, I think uh, over the years, in the last decade, Dublin have been the standard bearers for Gaelic games and Gaelic football in winning things. Uh, none of that would have happened, I doubt, with the young people in the county being inspired by the likes of Brian. So from a legacy point of view, Barney, uh, he leaves a substantial you know, imprint on our, on our landscape of our national game. Most definitely, you know, because without his, without the success of the 70s team and without Brian Mullins being one of them big figures then, uh, the likes of ourselves in the 80s wouldn't have had anyone to look up to and the colour that that team actually brought was unbelievable. And the amazing thing, just thinking back on a few things, John, yeah. just thinking that Brian actually played in nine All-Ireland finals. Joe, and if you think of back then, you consider now that the present team that have won the eight in a row, they've only ever played in eight All-Ireland finals. So Brian still has that fantastic record of having played in most All-Ireland finals. And the, another thing then was that the Railway Cup, uh, he was uh, um, figured none of the 70s team had actually won the Railway Cup medal. But back in, in uh, 1985, Jack Bootman, Sean Bylan and Brian were involved and Brian I think captained the team that day to win the the uh, Railway Cup in Crow Park uh, so he still has a lot of awards that other people uh, like the present team that haven't got at that stage Tommy uh, look we're, we're sorry for you and for Barney um, it's, it's very tough to lose a teammate and it's great that you spent so much time with them and as I said to Barney he's going to leave uh, a huge legacy as, a, as an icon of, of Dublin Gaelic football well, John, uh, I have to say, really appreciate the fact you've reached out and you've managed to allow us to get the word out to so many of uh, Brian's workmates, family and teammates. And I suppose if there was to be a last word from me on Brian's behalf, it would be his passing message to me not long before he died. It said to look out for and contact and spend time with those that are closest to Yeah, excellent stuff there. Uh, speaking about uh, Brian Mullins, who passed away yesterday, Eresh de Gorev Anam. That is it. We're out of time. Munster still leading 21-5 at Musgrave Park. 78 minutes gone. Uh, Zebra, of course, 21. Uh, Munster 21, Zebra, 5 points. Um, that is it. Tomorrow, of course, big show. Um, you can get reaction to tonight's Senior A Football semi-finals. Of course, St. Michael's victorious in the first one. Clyde Rovers and Knocknagree about to throw in a couple of minutes' time. You can catch the updates uh, on the at Big Red Bench Twitter account. And, of course, tomorrow we'll have um, Rory will have reaction uh, from all the camps involved in the Premier Senior Football semi-finals. Um, the podcast will be up on redfm.ie after this and all major podcast platforms. Stevie G is on the way next. 
Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM.